I would say try to consume as much information as you can about the topic that you want to learn, because a lot of it, like with this particular uh, podcast that we're going through right now, you might go through all of it. But remember, all you need to do is pull one piece, what they call one nugget, one little golden trick, you know, whatever you want to call it, that one thing can make the difference. So just like you, you and we spend thousands of dollars going to conferences, listen to a lot of people who are a lot smarter than we are. Sometimes it doesn't apply to us, but other times we look at it and go, that's it. That one, mm-hmm. that right there, that idea, I'm going to implement and make me another six figures this year. So when you're reading about it, just be ready to accept the information when you hear it, but just consume what you can, pull out all the nuggets and just make sure you remember it. That's the biggest thing because you keep getting so many of them, write them down, you know, keep them in front of you. Yeah. Uh, but that's the biggest thing. Consume information, pull those nuggets out because those things are what, what you're going to use to drive your business moving forward. Perfect. What's up, everybody? It's Jamel Gibbs. Welcome to another podcast episode. This is the Business and Investing Podcast, where you learn all things business and investing related. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that's uh, relatively close to what we've been discussing lately uh, on my YouTube channel, which is the Burr Strategy, building passive income through your real estate investing endeavors. And the particular topic that we're going to talk about today is something that I personally have not touched on, and that's property management. This is a key component to investing and being able to live that free and wealthy lifestyle that you're looking for altogether. If you're not doing property management properly, or you're not purchasing the properties that you're looking to hold on to the right way, it's going to cause major headaches for you later on. So I brought on an expert today to talk to us about how he uh, make sure that he purchases these properties the right way. He's going to tell us exactly what to look for before purchasing the property so that we keep ourselves out of muddy waters. But in addition to that, he's also going to talk to us about uh, managing the property the right way. Ed O'Daniel, what's up, my man? Hey, Jamel. It's awesome, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Man, it's a pleasure, brother. Looking forward to the information that we're going to cover today, man. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, man? Sure. Absolutely, man. I know we met, we had a little bit of a chat in uh, Tampa, kind of where we uh, met at one of our last events, but I have been investing since 2005. Um, I've been, I'm a wholesaler rehabber. I've kind of gone that down that road. I don't do too much of that anymore. A lot of times I've been coaching. I spent uh, several years just kind of coaching for some of the national vendors about real estate investing, but I've kind of fallen and settled into property management. Um, I own a property management company here in St. Louis, Missouri that we service our clients with. And I really just enjoy that. I enjoy helping people understand how to buy rentals, what to look for, and be able to sit back and achieve financial freedom through rentals. Um, Especially with the Burr method, you know, we were talking and that's kind of how I got started. I did start investing in 2005 and six. And I just tell people, I, I probably done everything wrong that you can do buying rental properties from not you know being too greedy on the burn method, which I'll hop into in just a minute, to hiring the wrong contractors, paying too much for repairs because I had no idea what I should be paying. You know what's a reasonable fair amount other than just getting a bid, thinking that's how much stuff is going to be, and just being able to gauge all that stuff. And that's what I help my clients deal with now is 
of course, contractors need to make money, but at the same point, you know, there are reasonable costs that you should, you should get, make sure you're, I'm sorry, making sure contractors don't overcharge you. So I got completely taken advantage of by 10,000 plus dollars or more on jobs because I was just at the time too stupid. And I'll use that word to sit back and know better, to know that there are certain national uh, costs that you have for painting and flooring and roofing and other things to at least know what to expect. So that's one of those things I love helping people out, understand those costs. And then when you're buying rentals on the Burr method, what should you look at? What should you do? What should you include in those costs? And if you can't do all of these things in and then factor it under whatever your percentage is, whether you're at 80% loan to value, I know that you know some people are going up to 80% on cash out refis, but you and I were talking, I'd much rather keep it down lower, more towards 70%. That way you get you know 30% of total equity in the property whenever you buy it, and it's completely fixed up. So the thing I try to educate people about on the burn method is when you're looking at properties, you need to take care of all of your main capital expenses on that property upfront, and those expenses need to be rolled into your financing. Right. So when you're doing your numbers, um, most people have Burr calculators, you know, you put in your purchase price, your repair numbers. You, I can't express that any more than uh, what I've, I try to push out to people. It's like on the burn method, you have to match the numbers are what rule. Yep. If it doesn't match on the numbers on the rule, you have to let it go. You can't get emotionally involved with it. Oh, let me just do this and not do this one thing. And I can make the numbers work. It's going to bite you. It's going to come around and bite you from a maintenance and a cash flow perspective later. It might not be immediately. It could be a year or two. But that's going to come and it's going to hurt you because you didn't follow the rules. So let me ask you this. So what yeah. were you doing before you got into real estate? I have a I have a whole other career in IT. I mean, I was um, I was like the IT geek. Um, and a lot of you, you can't tell me from you can't tell from this podcast, but I'm a disabled veteran. So I'm actually missing my right arm. I was uh, in the Army, kind of got hurt when I was in the Army during the first desert storm, got discharged. Um, a lot of people tell me to kind of really push that, you know, that, you know, being veteran led businesses and so forth. But I, I don't know. I just don't, I guess I don't push it out as much as I can, but having just one hand and being disabled, I couldn't physically compete with people. So I knew early on, I would have to be able to beat them mentally. Like I would have to know more than they did or know something they didn't know. So IT gave me that ability because I can work behind a keyboard. You know, I can work a keyboard type and so forth, but I knew how to do stuff in IT that other people didn't, which is gotcha. why I excelled at it. But again, people out there are in different fields. I moved from IT over into real estate because it was a hard transition. People talk about those golden handcuffs. You know, you got that nice cushy job. You just show up. Mm -hmm. It's easy money. You get so many weeks of vacation a year, but, you know, eventually there, there's a lid. You can only go so far right. until you start working for yourself. And then being an entrepreneur, there is no lid you know, go as high as you want, as high as you want to go. That That's where I made that move to. But to answer your question, I spent uh, about 18 years in IT, gotcha. doing pretty much anything that you could think of. So I am a tech person. Gotcha. <laughs> so so what, what type of mindset shift did it take for you to go from having a, a, a job that's paying you a, a check every two weeks or every week or whatever the case may be to being your own entrepreneur, your own boss? Like what type of mental shift did that take? For you, man, and to be honest, it was it was scary. I mean, it is scary for a lot of people that were uh, that just didn't start out with that. It's mm -hmm. one of the things I love about young people nowadays. I love talking to people who graduated high school in the 18, 19, 20s, you know, year old, 
I love seeing these people at conferences because they don't get bogged down by that industrial age thinking that we got pounded in our head, go to college, get a good job, do this, do that. And that's not the way that young people are, are, do, are handling that now. Right. People are like, hey, I, I can do this. I can become an affiliate. I can sell other people's products. I can create a YouTube channel. I can bring value to people. I can do all these other things, have a lifestyle where I a laptop type lifestyle where I can travel, do all these other cool things and not have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. So I love talking to people about that. I love, love um, young people and just kind of teaching them about that. But for myself personally, it was just, I knew just something inside of me, just, I, I kind of felt like I, I made this shift when I was 44. So this is about six years ago for me now. Mm. But so 44 years old, uh, for me personally, at the age of 35, I set a 10 year goal that I'm working for myself by 45. Like I'm quitting, I'm going to have my own business and run it because I knew there were no limits. Because if you work, at least in my field, and it could be the same in other people's fields, whether you're a mid-manager, if you work in insurance, there's a certain level that you can attain and you're not going to go much higher than that. That it's just it. You're going to reach a lid somewhere, no matter how good you are. That's all you're going to be able to do. This is it. This is the most you're going to be able to earn. You know, this is the most weeks of vacation you want to do. You can't live overseas right. for three months at a time if you wanted to and have a job. That just doesn't work. You know, not in the model that we had. So you can't, that's not even feasible. So the only way you can have that kind of lifestyle is to be able to work on your own, set your own rules, have no boundaries other than the ones you set for yourself. Now, along with that, obviously you, you have obstacles, right? So what type of obstacles did you face personally uh, becoming your own entrepreneur. Oh, but I tell you some of the some of the biggest obstacles I had. I one of the things that I've been going through here. Um, I've actually been um, halting on reading some new books. I'm a big self help person. I've actually been been going back to a lot of the old stuff that I haven't read in 10, 10 plus years. Believe it or not, I just I'm still finishing up the um, the E Myth by Michael mm-hmm. Gerber again. And if that's a great book because it has the foundational, lays mm-hmm. the foundation of how you need to set your business structure up to be the business owner. So you're not doing all the work. You're just managing the, you know, you could just managing the business. Like if somebody owns a McDonald's, they don't work at the McDonald's. They have a manager and employees right. and everything else. They just understand how to put people in place, process procedures, the cost and how much profit I'm going to make. That's so right. getting back to the, the things that I sucked at is... I was always a technician. I always was good at doing the work, but I was never a manager. So then when you started to grow, it's a whole other skill set that people have to develop. When you have to bring on employees, that could even be a virtual assistant. You know, when you bring on a virtual assistant, you have to be a manager to them. So you have to be able to communicate with them effectively. You have to start thinking about company culture. You know, what kind of an environment do you want to have? what kind of benefits you want to bring to people. Those are the things that I was lacking that I had to sit back. I didn't know that, but those are the things that's like, Oh crap, I got to get a handle on this. Yeah. If I want to start growing and I want to start hiring people and I got to start paying for taxes and I got to have all this. I mean, it's a lot to kind of pick up, especially if you've never managed people before, you know, it's a whole other skill set that I've had to sit back and learn. Same here, man. I'm good at, I was initially good at doing the work, but now I'm great at delegating because I, I, I learned how to do it. You know what I mean? When you don't really have a clear understanding of how to delegate properly. I mean, it took me years to figure it out. Obviously, it didn't happen overnight, but I was I was under the impression that I could do things better than anybody else. And it was probably true, you know, in my own business's case. But I'll, I'd rather 
know, someone said something to me one time. He said, I'd rather do uh, 20% of the work and make 80% of the profit, right? So, and that just registered with me where you can get eight people to do, you know, majority of the work for you and build off of their efforts and be able to operate your business on less time and be able to continue to scale. You know, once I understood that concept, it really helped me grow my businesses uh, in a different way, man. But, you know, um, understanding how to do the work yourself can actually hinder you in the long run, get somebody else that's better than you to get it done. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And then, you know, without just without having to go in depth about it, another thing is, you know, you have to understand what kind of a person is going to match that role. Right. So then you have to, you get more into personality typing and profiling and things like that. So you have to understand people that are accountants that want to look at numbers all day, you know, those aren't going to be salespeople, you know, like the people, I mean, so you really got to have to understand what I need to have put in place and then define the people and the roles and find the right person for that that in order for them to do well at it and to excel. Again, that's a whole other skill set that you have to, you have to evolve. But like I said, that you can, we could spend a whole show oh, yeah. just talking about That's that alone. The conversation, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, so look, why don't we jump into some of the rules of the birth strategy, man? Let's, let, let's jump back to that. I really wanted everybody to get a clear understanding of who you were um, mm-hmm. and how you got started in this. And the reason I do that is because there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who come from different backgrounds, um, different circumstances. And sometimes people resonate with other people's story. Uh, or your story may be similar to somebody else's story and they needed to hear that they can be successful in it as well. So I always have somebody tell their story when they come on this podcast, just because I know somebody's going to resonate with that story, man. So uh, moving into the burr part of this particular conversation, going into uh, property management and things like that, what are some of the rules that you were talking about? Sure. Let me, let me preface it with this. Um, before we kind of get into the rules here, this is what kind of got me to these rule point is I've been, um, I, my property management company was founded in 2014. So I actually managed my own property since 2005. That was the first time I bought rental property and I've just been acquiring and I've had, so I've managed properties for 16 years, but at some point I, I had done such a great job, made all the mistakes you can make and finally learned enough to be able to manage the properties myself. Well, so back in the, like 2013, 2014, some friends of mine just asked me to start managing their properties, you know, because I had such a good policy procedure and system along with it that I started opening up a, my own brokerage here and opened up my own business and started doing that. But as I, as I bring on new clients, these new clients are trying to acquire properties using the Burr method. And I see not only the mistakes that I made, but I see the same mistakes that they're making or things that they didn't even look for in these properties that they should have asked before they even bought them. And now when they turn them over to me, you know, they they just bought a property and then I go out and like evaluate it, take a look at it. And I'm like, Mr. Client, you know, I'm sorry, you've got $4,000 worth of deferred maintenance that Mm. I need you to write me a check, you know, because we need to get these things done. And that's a hard conversation because a lot of my clients are like, well, I just paid X amount of money for this property. I need to start making some money before I give you some money. And I'm like, unfortunately, you don't understand. This, you know, these things have to get done. So let's kind of get into the rules of that. So it really comes back from seeing a lot of other investors buy the wrong properties, not ask the right questions whenever they're buying these things. Because the the whole thing about turnkey properties, if you know, if you're buying turnkey or 
Um, I know that's a little bit different than using the burn method, but um, they're just things that you have to ask yourself that are similar in both. So if you're doing the burn method, what are the things that you need to sit back and look out for? Number one, you need to have all of your total expenses wrapped up initially before you refinance. So I'm just going to make that blanket statement, and then we're going to break out into some other things. Like my mistakes I made was I, there were some properties I knew that I needed to replace the furnace and the, the central AC unit, but I didn't. So mm-hmm. that right there was like a $6,000 mistake that I should have factored that in, and I shouldn't have bought that property if those numbers didn't work. I should have just passed on it. It's like, hey, this deal's not going to work. But sometimes the, the thing is, it's so easy to say, well, maybe we'll cut the corner on this one property, you know, because it's so close and it's a really good property yeah. and a really good school district. Just I urge you, don't do that. The numbers, I, I, have, the numbers have to work for you. Just to add into that, you know, like for us, what we like to do is go in, gut the entire place down to the studs and almost provide a brand new property, right? Um, sometimes when, when you're in a competitive market, though, and it's harder to find deals, you 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 start to take on the mentality of cutting corners just to get the deal, but then it comes back to bite you in the long run, you know. Right. So it really it, it all boils down to buying the property at the right price. That's what it all boils down to. Correct. Or buying the property and putting the property cost and the repairs mm-hmm. at the certain loan to value of your refinance costs. So that just goes back to very similar like a Mayo formula that you would use uh, in wholesaling or rehabbing. So exactly. it's the same type of formula, but just your calculations have to be a little bit different because this is a property that you're going to keep. You have to think long-term. Yep. You can't think the next year, the next two years. You need to think 10 years. Mm-hmm. That's what you need to think. You know, When you're holding these properties 5, 10, 15 years, what am I going to put in this thing that's going to be durable enough for people to live in it and have it absorb normal wear and tear over mm-hmm. 10 to 15 years? So those things are like your, your main capital improvements, your roofs, your gutters. Believe me, people don't pay attention. They pay attention to roofs, but very few people pay attention to gutters mm. until the gutters start messing up. And then they start having a water problem in their house because of all the water not being diverted correctly, that now the basements or the foundations are leaking because they didn't properly drain and, and have this water go away. It's a, it's a common problem, but that's one thing that I commonly see, at least in my area, is you have to make sure all that stuff is working right. The roof, the gutters, water's being diverted, the internal side, your plumbing stack, is that in good shape? I mean, because you can still have some of the older, you know, cast iron type pipes and still have it work fine as long as it's not corroding. But just mm-hmm. take care of all the initial problems that you have. If your furnace and water heater are more than 10 years old, look at replacing them. Mm-hmm. You know, look at just, even though they're working fine right now, they can go out at any time. So if you factor what those costs are, put them in there. If, that, if those costs still work, do it. Because then you're going to have that 10 to 15 year longevity moving forward where you have like virtually zero capital expense, maintenance items, and all of it is going to be cash flow. Yep. So I mean, these are some of the rules that you need to think about whenever you're, uh, you're buying the property. You know, just the things that are common, normal maintenance items on the property. And it's easy to, so for example, using a furnace as... Um... Uh, just an example, mm-hmm. um, it's easy to look at the furnace and say, okay, I can replace this part or I can replace that part and do that every two years. By the time you do that, honestly, you're going to be buying a new furnace. So you might as well go ahead and put the money into buying a furnace up front and eliminate that that problem. Number one, you're going to have a, if you don't replace the furnace, not saying that every house is going to need a furnace replaced, but mm-hmm. 
just listen to, to what we're saying here, right? If you have a furnace that's, let's say, 15 years old, you, you might have another 10 years on that furnace, five years, but that stuff starts to break down. By the time you replace the part, somebody's going to be calling you at two o'clock in the morning saying it's freezing or it's too hot, the HVAC system is out or whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. Uh, that's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you, you know, 500 to a thousand bucks just to replace parts on the thing. And then it's going to burn out in two years. So you're going to have to do it again. You might as well just go ahead and eliminate the headache is what Ed is saying and go ahead and, you know, um, uh, defer that headache for 15 years. By that time, you probably didn't sold the house by then. It just depends on how long you're looking to keep the place. Exactly. The point is, do things the right way up front and it will eliminate the headaches on the back end. Right. Exactly. And here's the biggest thing that if you, I might've mentioned earlier, but a lot of people have bird calculators where you put all of your finances and you can generate your estimated cash flow. Well, if you do it the right way, your estimated cash flow will become your actual cash flow. Mm-hmm. If you don't do it right, all these other expenses start coming in there. And that $300, $400 a month cash flow you think you're going to get just got wiped out with a year with a $4,000 furnace that you have to that you have to buy six months after you just bought it. You know, now your, your, your cash flow is gone. And that's just on one property. Heaven forbid you have other maintenance items on that property or others. So your cash flow is really going to suffer. And if you're looking at that cash flow to provide livable income, that can really affect your lifestyle. So just think about it. Like you said, make sure you do it right and everything else should be good to go. So, so basically we're looking at the roof. We're looking at all the mechanicals, uh, from plumbing to electric to you know anything that's going to keep the house uh, in working order, then we're looking at the cosmetic stuff at that point. Is that how you, you work the numbers as well? Well, I missed a couple of things I haven't put in here. I mean, we're talking about furnaces and ACs, but depending on where you're at in the, in the country, you can have oil tanks, you can mm-hmm. have boiler systems in, in your property. Yep. So boiler systems, again, they, they have a longevity. They're a lot more expensive to put in. Then, uh, but some people like radiated heat versus forced heat, you know, from the moisture that it gives. But mm-hmm. all these things just need to be looked at because the boiler system is going to be expensive, no different than a furnace. If it's old, you might want to think about replacing it. Otherwise, you're going to service it potentially monthly during the cycles that you need it. Every mm-hmm. month, you're going to be out there and it's like, what's that, 100 bucks, you know, 100, 150 bucks every month during the wintertime that you're going to need to have somebody service this and take care of it mm-hmm. if it's not well maintained. But go ahead. I was going to say back when I lived in Pennsylvania. So when I, whenever I had a, a property that had oil heat, the tenants used to love living in that property because then they can control um, the heating, the heating costs of the property. So it wasn't like having a gas bill on autopilot every single month and you really can't control that. They could control putting $300 in an oil tank. You know what I mean? So that was kind of weird here in the South. Um, I, I live in North Carolina now. There's more forced air than anything, right? So you sure. have HVAC systems. Um, so it's just slightly different. But like you said, depending on where you live, the cost can can vary. Well, and just some other things to factor in. Again, we we talk about things that are very easy. Like when you know, most of the time you're going to be connected to public water, public sewer. But mm-hmm. a lot of times, if you're in places, that's not always the case, right? So like yes, it would be nice to make sure like your sewer line. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another one that's very expensive. I mean, Stuff you, you could be paying, you know, five to fifteen thousand dollars, you know, mm-hmm. to replace sewer lines, depending on what you have a problem with. So if you have a sewer, 
that's just more or less like a public um, access to public sewer. Make sure you run a camera down it. Check the scope, you know, check the line, scope it and make sure everything's good before you buy it. That could be a $10,000 mistake if you have a break somewhere and they have to put a backhoe and dig down 15 feet to replace it. Or heaven forbid, if you have a septic system and the septic system is already 25 years old, that you're going to have to replace it. Th- these are hugely expensive items. So you don't really think about that. You just think you just flush a toilet or water runs out of your shower and it just goes someplace. But where does it go? Ultimately, your renters are going to have that particular problem. So you need to make sure these systems are functioning so that you don't even pay attention to them. You know, they work so well that they're just ignored because they never create a problem. So do you think it's smart to get a property inspection done up front rather than, I mean, because we get contractors estimates, obviously, but Mm -hmm. in addition to that, do you think it's wise to get property inspections done uh, so that you know everything that's wrong with the property before you purchase it? No, I would say if, if you've been in the business and you know rental properties, a good if you're especially if you're doing the burn method, a good walkthrough by you is all you need. You know what a crappy stack looks like. You know what a furnace looks like. Just look at the manufacturer sticker on your furnace. Yep. You know, if you can't read it, then it's probably too, you know, too damn old for you to even deal with because it's probably worn off from fading. But I mean, you can look at the stickers on these items to look at the manufacturer, you know, creation date to see how old they are. And, and by looking at them. So you can just do a walk around, but the thing you can't do is you can't look at your sewer line. So yes, I would say if you're going to buy a property and you're serious, pay a couple of hundred bucks and have somebody run a camera down it just to make sure the sewer line is valid and everything works. That, that's one thing I would do. Or if you have a septic system, have it evaluated. See when the last time it's been flushed, see if it's full, see if it's at full capacity or see if parts of it is rusted or clogged. Because that can be hugely expensive for you to go back and fix that. And heaven forbid you want somebody to uh, have a septic system where they're taking a shower and somebody's running the washer, doing clothes at the same time. And next thing you know, your whole backyard, you know, is just flooded just, yeah. you know, with, with stuff. That, that's not a good thing to have because oh, that's going to cost me, you money. It, it happened um, to me on one of my properties on, on a ouch. rehab that I was doing. It, 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 it sucks, man. <laughs> so, and it stinks too. <laughs> Well, and, and we talk about water. I mean, there's still people that are on wells. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're on a well, if you're evaluating that and public public access is available, meaning public water, I would say see what it takes for that. See what it yeah. takes to run a water line up there and include that in your cost. If there is public sewer, but they just never convert it, they just left it on a septic system. That was one of the mistakes I made and got my butt handed to me with a fifteen thousand uh, dollar bill. I looked at this thing and, and just thought, well, hey, man, this is in the city, right? I mean, who would have a septic system? Why would I even think that? Mm-hmm. Everybody has sewer around here. Ah, uh, That's up to you. So don't get caught on it. Make sure, because I, I had to you know, crush a septic system, close it out, fill it in, and then run about you know, 150 feet around the house all the way to a public, you know, and it cost me 15 grand. We had to go under the street. Wow. to the other side to tap into the main. And it's like, that's a that's an expensive mistake when you're dealing with the $15,000 cost. Absolutely. But I made that mistake. That was on me. And that's yeah. what I try to tell people. It's like, don't make those mistakes. Look that's at right, it, man. you know, dot your eyes and cross your T's and make sure that sewer's available public and make sure you understand what's in this, what's in this property when you evaluate it. So then you go ahead and you throw the lipstick on the property with the cosmetic stuff, make it look good. But mechanically, the house will be sound after it's all said and done. Um, what about property management, man? So like, what are some key tips that you can provide our listeners when it comes to managing the property the right way, tenants and things like that? Okay. Well, 
if you, if let's just take a step back, if you do the burn method the right way, like you're saying, you've got them, you put, you know, fresh stuff in there and you've got new flooring, new everything else, your systems are in good shape. If everything is working in good shape, property management is a breeze. People don't like property management whenever there's, you know, maintenance items and, and tenants complaining about stuff. Well, if you set things up the right way, you can manage your own properties and, and, and do it very well from wherever you are in the world. So your maintenance items are small. So some of the things I would just say, if you're dealing with property management, I cover, um, and I know it's a little bit of a plug, but besides helping my clients, I also like to help do-it-yourself landlords. So one of my sort of pet projects is veteranlandlord.com. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was kind of cool since I'm a veteran. So yeah. just veteranlandlord.com. It's just, I teach people how to do um, what I call the five pillars of property management. If you understand these five things, then you are good to go. You can be your own landlord. But if you don't want to do anything in these five pillars, then you need to find a property manager to handle that for you. But just, I mean, real quick, we're not going to go over all of them, but just you need to know how to market your property. You need to know how to get it in front of people to generate leads and get that thing leased. You need to know the leasing process, how to show the property. How are you going to let people in and out to take a look at it? How are you going to accept applications? How are you going to generate leases? All of that other stuff, because that's going to be required. You're going to collect money. So you're going to have the financial component. How do you keep track of money? How do you do your books? How do you pay your bills? How do you pay your vendors? And all of these things need to be able to be done from wherever you are in the world. I mean, you need, you could just think to yourself, if I'm on a cruise ship in the middle of the ocean, can I run my business? Can I pay my bills online? If I have an internet connection, can I pay my vendors? Can I? Yes. If you set things up right, but just the last two is like your maintenance and then your legal. Legal meaning things like fair housing law. Mm-hmm. Again, if, if you're going to be your own landlord, you can't ignore these type of things. I always have to rec- recommend people take a fair housing class. They're like a hundred bucks. Go through it. Learn, not necessarily learn what to do, just learn what not to do. Right. Like certain keywords or things that y- you can't put in your marketing or you can't say to people over the phone that bam, will slap you with an instant lawsuit because you discriminated against them. You didn't think so, you know, but you can't, you know, you can't do certain things about mm-hmm. that. And as long, again, if you, your maintenance, if you've got, you do the burn method, right? Maintenance should be at a minimum. You know, you should have very little help, but I mean, all you need is just a local handyman repair company. I mean, you could just even use a national franchise, you know, just call them every time you might pay a little bit more upfront, but they're always going to be available 24 seven. You're utilizing that service. But again, your call should be at a minimum. And if you did the right, uh, did the right repairs on your property, some of the repairs that you're getting called for are probably, or maybe even tenant, tenant generated. So they created the problem. So whatever you pay for that repair, you just charge it back to the tenant, mm-hmm. you know, because it's not normal wear and tear. They start flushing things down the toilet. They're not supposed to, and it gets clogged up. Well, that's a tenant charge. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you charge that back to them for the repair because they did something that caused that problem. That's right, man. So do you recommend our listeners get a property management company right off the bat? How many properties should they own before they start looking at property management companies? I wouldn't even, I I would say this is more of a, how do you feel about it kind of a thing? I know mm-hmm. people that you mentioned yourself, you know, hey, nobody can do the business like you can. So very similar to that, people think, well, nobody's going to take care of my properties the way I'm going to take care of my properties. Very true. I love my properties. And I'm going to take good care of them. So a property manager is not going to take as good, good care of them, but it's about delegating. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to spend your time? 
What's more important to you? Is it more important to you to take care of your properties or is it more important to you to find another bird deal or another five bird deals this next year? Because now you've offloaded all of that. You've delegated, as you say before, that off to a property manager, which if you've done your job right, getting it reconfigured should be easy to maintain and manage. All you're doing is all those five pillars I talked about earlier. All you're doing is leveraging the property manager's system for doing all that. So they collect the rent. They handle the maintenance calls which should be minimal if you've done it right, they're responsible for showing the property and leasing it and generating the lease and all that other crap. You don't have to learn all that. You can right. focus your time on being the investor, acquiring more properties. So really it's more of a personal decision that you have to make. I can see people doing either way. That's kind of why I love working with people in my property management company with clients that look to buy properties and do exactly what we're talking about. But I'm also like to work with do-it-yourself landlords to make sure they don't do things stupid like I did, you know, making these simple little mistakes that all I have to do is point out to them. And now they could be um, much better financially and running their portfolio more efficient. They're making more money and they're just better at what they do. Yeah, man. So if we had to provide our listeners with, let's say a three to five step process to uh, doing this the right way, what would those three to five steps be? For doing the property management the right way? Pro- property management. Uh, I know we talked about bird deals, but let's talk specifically about property management. Okay. Well, number one, you need to make sure that you understand the five pillars that I just talked about. So again, you have to know how are you going to market the properties? How are you going to handle leasing? And leasing is a lot of different components. That's why I recommend people just go check out my free class that I put out on the veteran landlord. That's going to be available to people. It gives you all the stuff that you need to know, but the leasing, you need to have a, a great lease. So you're going to have to get that stuff done. You're going to have to sit back and at least understand the laws in your area, not just federal laws, but state and local laws, because local laws can be different. There are some local laws that I have in my city that actually override, um, I wouldn't say override, but are extend upon the fair housing law. That if you don't know that, that whole I'm, I'm, I'm ignorant of the law stuff doesn't work. You know, if you're a landlord, you are responsible. They expect you to know this. So just know all the components, know all those five components that I talked about. If you know Mm -hmm. that, then landlording is easy, especially if the maintenance part is small. Maintenance is where a lot of people get stuck up on properties where sending people out or trying to analyze or evaluate the particular component. It's not that hard. You know, finding somebody, it's just, if you take care of the repairs, hire somebody else that could do that for you, delegate it to them you may pay a little bit more. So instead of maybe a cheaper guy that would go out there for a hundred bucks, you might pay 200 bucks for that repair, but you're dealing with one repair every six months or a year. So the cost isn't really going to hurt you. The delegation and having that load off of you of that, of having to, to learn all that stuff yourself is what you're really doing. Mm-hmm. So you can spend more time elsewhere. So get prepared. Don't go into being a landlord ignorant. Just please don't do that. And that's exactly what I did. You don't know what your state laws are, your landlord-tenant law. They're different in different states. So know what you're expected to provide and what the tenant's expected to provide. If you don't know that, then you don't know where you stand. You can't, um, you can't be confident of telling somebody, this is your responsibility to maintain this if you don't know. So once you're confident, at least understanding what your rights are, what their rights are, things are easy. So it's not unlimited amount of information. I would say it's probably easier than you know even rehab, you know learning how to rehab properties. To believe it or not, 
you know, you just have to learn a few components, but just figure out those five things. Once you figure them out, you can, you can literally manage your properties from anywhere you are in the world, even on a cruise ship in the middle of the ocean. Gotcha, man. Now, obviously uh, our listeners, you know, we can't cover everything on this simple podcast, but our listeners would want some more information. Now you did mention veteranlandlords.com. Where else can they uh, find you on social media or something like that? Sure. I'm just uh, hit me up on Facebook. Um, Edward O'Daniel. I'm, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn too. Those are the two biggest platforms that I, that I'm up on. Just, I, again, I love helping people. So just hit me up and just let me know how I can help you guys. Cause right now this is an area that not a lot of people cover. Not a lot of people are out there trying to be a sort of a landlord mentor and just making sure people, it, it doesn't take a whole, this isn't like a year long course that you'd have to deal with. Believe it or not, if you learn all these components, the, the veteran landlord course is maybe two to three hours to cover all of this. So just take a Saturday, listen to courses. They're so information rich that you will not be bored. And believe me, I don't talk about me on these videos. I don't go over me like these other people do. This is about, this is what you need to know. This is how you get it done. Here's some examples of what you can do to either a free or low cost method is what I try to focus on. Some things you, you have to pay for, but I mean, a lot of things you can do, you can actually set them up for free if you're a little bit more technical. You understand how to connect things together, but you know, take the time and just you know, watch a course, know what you don't know. I try to tell people, it's like be, people are afraid of being a landlord because of, they don't know what they don't know. But it's almost like watching a scary movie when you know, I, I kind of grew up you know, with Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street kind of, uh, kind of movies. Those movies aren't scary if you know what's going to happen. Right. You know, if you tell somebody, <laughs> oh, watch out, you know, the guy's going to jump out with an axe and, you know, start swinging and chopping somebody. When it happens, it's not scary because you already told somebody about what's going to happen. Very similar with landlording. If I tell you this is what's going to happen, this, you know, when this happens, here's how you handle that. It takes the, the fogginess and the scariness out of the situation yeah. and actually makes you more confident knowing when that happens, I know what to do about it. And you know what's you know what's going to happen. So th that's that's about the best advice I can give. Once you know that, I mean, you can you can manage your properties and feel completely comfortable um, managing them yourself. But again, if you are growing your portfolio, here's where the issue is: if you're growing your portfolio larger, 20, 50, 100 properties, I'm going to be upfront. I mean, I'm a property manager, and that's a revenue stream I get from other people that have rental properties. But if this is yours. You might want to look at becoming a do-it-yourself landlord because if you look at the fees, if you have 100 properties and do the math on the percentage rate, you know anywhere from say 8 to 12%, mm -hmm. somewhere in that ballpark is where property managers charge on their management fees, that can come up to a sizable amount of money. That in turn can lead to hiring a couple of VAs or even a property manager yourself to keep those in-house. So- you know, it's up to you. I mean, some I've seen it both ways. Yep. But all I can say is that for landlords that get started, if you have one, two, like less than five, hiring a property manager could be detrimental. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. because of unless you not don't do it right, because you're going to be just starting out. And if you have a maintenance issue on that property, you could be going negative quite often throughout the year mm -hmm. unless you do it right. If you don't, if you do it like what, what we talked about, using the burn method, getting everything fixed then you shouldn't go negative. The maintenance should be minimal. Or if it is maintenance done, they should be charged back to the tenant for problems that they have. But it shouldn't come out of your pocket is what I mean. So 
If that's the case, then yes, you can hire a property manager and still be successful, but you must include their property management fees, a reasonable vacancy fee, and even maintenance costs. Figure those up inside of your your bird calculation methods. Don't don't take those off because that could drop your your cash flow significantly and not make it where you need to. So um, a lot of I know bird calculators don't include that. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to hire, they just say this is the cash flow. If you did it yourself, if you're hiring somebody, you have to make sure that you account for that. Absolutely, man. So you know, again, you know, check out veteranlandlord.com. Check out Ed O'Daniel on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. There's a ton of information that you guys can consume. And like he said, his course is only three hours. Uh, you get the information that you need right up front. So uh, make sure you check the links in the description box below. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, on the show notes, on a podcast, I'm going to make sure you have everything you need, the bird calculator, all of that stuff. Make sure you have all, all of the information you need in order to be able to uh, be successful at this right away. Now, quick question for you, man. And, you know, I know you mentioned the E-Myth before. What other uh-huh. books are you reading right now? Actually, I just went through, you know, one of my favorites is, of course, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's an old classic, yep. but I love going through that one here. I've just gone through um, just some of uh, Tony Robbins, you know, his old, uh, I can't think Awaken of the, the his, um, Awake the Yeah. So yeah. Um, I'm, I just audio, audible, you know, just, you know, as I'm out exercising, just kind of listen to those. So I'm kind of in that retro mode right now. It's like, um, I've still got a bunch of books, you know, that I've got up on my bookshelf. There you go. Audible.com. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm kind of you know back in that retro mode because sometimes it's like you forget the those core things that you learn when you first start off. You keep learning other things, but you kind of have to reinforce like I'm going through the E-Myth again. Um, I'm pretty close to being finished, but I'm like, man, I completely, you know, I remember hearing that, but you don't really implement it. You don't really right. think about it, right. but you're just not at the right stage either of your business or your life to sit mm-hmm. back and understand and appreciate it. But that's why you have to listen to things sometimes or read them multiple times because you may not be ready for the information the first time you read it. Man, that is so true. You know how many times I, I went through a book, I, you know, I, I could have gone through the same book 10 years ago. I was at a different point in my life, a different time in my business where I can listen to the same information now. And it's just, it, it hits home a different, a different way. You know what I mean? It just hits you different. When you mm-hmm. understand it at that at the right time in your life, I had this conversation with somebody else uh, a little while back on my podcast, man. And it's just you know, information plays a different role in your life depending on what you're going through at that time in your life, man. Mm-hmm. Good, good stuff, man. Now, if you had to provide our listeners with any last words of advice, what would those words be? I would say try to consume as much information as you can about the topic that you want to learn because a lot of it. Like with this particular uh, podcast that we're going through right now, you might go through all of it, but remember, all you need to do is pull one piece, what they call one nugget, one little golden trick, you know, whatever you want to call it, that one thing can make the difference. So just like you, you and I, we spend thousands of dollars going to conferences, listen to a lot of people who are a lot smarter than we are. Sometimes it doesn't apply to us, but other times we look at it and go, that's it. That one, mm-hmm. that right there, that idea. I'm going to implement and make me another six figures this year. So when you're reading about it, just be ready to accept the information when you hear it, but just consume what you can pull out all the nuggets and just make sure you remember it. That's the biggest thing. Cause you keep getting so many of them, write them down, you know, keep them in front of you. 
Yeah. Uh, but that's the biggest thing. Consume information, pull those nuggets out because those things are what, what you're going to use to drive your business moving forward. And just to piggyback off of that, me personally, like, like you said, I literally pay thousands of dollars on education just to look for the one thing that's going to help me go from where I am to where I want to go. So when you guys are looking to invest in education for yourselves, some people complain that it's a cost for, and for education, but really all you're doing is you're looking for the one thing that's going to help you. That's going to make you 10, 20, 30 times the money anyway. And it's not ever a cost when it comes to education. It's only a cost if you do nothing with the information, right? It's an investment into your brain, into yourself to be able to go from where you are to where you want to go. So don't ever look at, you know, a home study course or a coaching program or something like that as a cost. It's an investment to help you speed up the process, to tap into somebody else's brain who's been there and done that and help prevent you from making the same mistakes because you're going to spend the money one way or another. It's either going to be on the education and somebody guiding you, or you're going to spend 10 times that making your own mistakes. It's completely up to you at that point. So just be mindful of that, guys. You know, I'm definitely pro-education and a reason for that is because I've made every mistake in a book and I wish I would have had access to the information that you guys have today. So definitely check out Ed on social media. Check out veteranlandlords.com. Check the links in the description box below. Great podcast. We could have gone a lot deeper into a lot of this stuff, but I think Ed's course cover that stuff for us. But in addition to that, if you guys want to have Ed back, uh, maybe we can talk about uh, uh, turnkey rental properties and how that that works or something like that. If you guys want to want to hear an episode on that, let us know in the comment section below. Let us know what you thought about this episode. But in addition to that, be sure to like this video, subscribe to this channel, click the notification bell, and uh, be here for future podcast episodes as well. We'll see you guys on the next one. Check out my website at reieducationacademy.com. To make it easy, you can just simply go to jamelgibbs.com or check out my YouTube page at youtube.com forward slash jamelgibbs. I'm all over the web, whether it be on Facebook slash the Jamel Gibbs or on Instagram at Jamel Gibbs. I'm on LinkedIn as well. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Snapchat. Check out all of these platforms for daily content, weekly content, more content from Jamel Gibbs. But if you want to get more in depth, go to reieducationacademy.com. And that's how you can find out more about my training material and how you can get started investing in real estate today. Talk to you later.